0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin.
0: And I'm Tim Warden. Today we have an old friend of mine appearing. Our guest is Taylor Campbell. I have known Taylor for a number of years now. We worked in the same lab during our grad studies, and then she went on to become a successful human physiotherapist running prospect physiotherapy in Ontario. She works with numerous riders across disciplines and has a strong understanding of equestrian sports. So she is someone I chat with when I have questions uh, related to her field. Of course, having riders who have properly functioning bodies and addressing things like asymmetries and stiffness is critical for allowing horses to move optimally. So this episode dives into this topic, and Taylor shares her insights on some of the challenges and opportunities the riders have to enhance their own effectiveness in the saddle.
1: Taylor is a graduate of the University of Toronto's Master of Science in Physical Therapy program. Prior to this, she obtained a BSc in Human Kinetics and an MSc in Biomechanics from the University of Guelph. Taylor is the physiotherapist for the Canadian equestrian team where she works with both able-bodied and para-equestrian athletes in various disciplines. Her involvement with Equestrian Canada allows her to travel with the team and help the riders prepare for world championships and the Olympics and Paralympic Games. Hi Taylor and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Hi Tim and Nicole, it's a pleasure to be here. We're so excited. We've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to jump right in. You currently travel with Equestrian Canada to major games to support team riders for dressage, eventing, and paradressage. Can you give us a little bit of an explanation of the work you do, just for those who might not be familiar?
2: Yeah, uh, so I'm super fortunate to have this job. Um, Equestrian Canada hired me on to be the team physiotherapist for the Canadian paradressage team. So I usually travel with them a few times throughout the year. This year's a bit of a heavier travel year just with Worlds coming up. So for example, I was in Florida in March, Belgium in April, Ottawa in May, and then I'll be heading to Denmark for Worlds in a couple of weeks. Uh, So then it's at Major Games where I do offer my services to riders of all the disciplines, since we're usually all at one venue um, this year is a bit of an exception. At this venue, it'll just be jumping, dressage, dressage, and vaulting. I think. So to kind of give you an overview of what the year looks like, um, I typically complete an annual assessment early in the year. So usually on that Florida trip, and that's with all of the national level para-athletes. Um, this just allows me to kind of keep tabs on how their body is doing year after year and go over any issues or injuries that we need to address for that season. And then from there, we like follow up with our hands on physio treatment whenever we are together as a team. and then um, I can maintain correspondence and provide or update exercise programs as needed in between those trips. And then once we're at major gains, a lot of the major work should be done. So it's more maintenance. So really, I'm just there to help riders uh, with whatever they need, make them feel better in the saddle, right? So whether that's a bit of massage or stretching, I bring my ultrasound and some of my modalities. Yeah, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, I would say.
1: That's great. And I know, you know, riders at the level that you're working with, realize that they're athletes and it's important to take care of their bodies. But I think that sometimes riders at different levels or who are just coming up the ranks don't necessarily understand the impact that their bodies and their physical strength and weaknesses and everything like that has an impact on the horses that they're riding. So could you share with us a little bit about the importance of a well-functioning musculoskeletal (laughs) system for riders?
2: yeah so a well-functioning musculoskeletal system for riders is really what i narrow in on with my job i mean so of course i'm probably biased but i would say it's hugely important Um, i would actually argue that it's probably the biggest factor affecting our horses um, is how we present in the saddle on top of them right so of course there's going to be other factor factors that affect our horses like you know how the saddle fits the condition of their feet um, their conformation what silly things they may do in the paddock but um the way we position ourselves in the saddle and use our body really can either enable our horses movement or um block our horses movement so I'm a visual person, so I love this an example and uh, I use it with pretty much all my clients, but just to help put it into perspective, like if you as a human, imagine that you are running around a track and someone is running alongside you, like constantly pushing you, giving you that force. You can still probably complete the task but you're going to have to engage different muscles to compensate for that force that's being applied on you right so that's ultimately going to change the amount of effort that you're putting into it and it's the same for riders on a horse like we are that pushing force on them so if we aren't symmetrical in the saddle which many of us aren't we are going to be applying that pushing force onto our horse and they're going to have to figure out a way to compensate
0: Interesting. Interesting. And diving into the asymmetry a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit of literature that's been published on it now, how riders asymmetry impacts the horse. And then there are are also all of these anecdotes coming from therapists who work on the horses themselves, where uh, they'll say that if they go into a single barn with a single rider, usually they'll see the same issues in all of the horses. So it's kind of like one rider can impact every single horse the exact same way based on some of their own asymmetries. And so like I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on in terms of that asymmetry how do you how do you know when it is a major issue that needs to be addressed versus everyone has a little bit of asymmetry right so what's that balance point and how do you determine what should be done to get the riders moving more fluidly and kind of more optimal above the horse
2: Yeah, Tim, that's such a great point. And I can tell you just from my experience that oftentimes the horse's muscular imbalances or strains correspond very closely to the physical patterns that I see in the riders. And it makes sense. Like if you think of a rider having tightness through their right back or the paraspinal muscles, this may cause them to have a bit of a collapse to their right, which would then increase the amount of weight going through their right seat bone, which is going to go directly down into the horse's back. So while that alone could increase tension through the horse's right side of their back, you now have to think about the compensation that's gonna happen from that asymmetrical force. So more often than not, the horse is gonna try to kind of shy away from that pressure and they would bulge out, I guess in this example, to the left. So, again, then it's just kind of a domino effect. If they're bulging out to the left, they're going to be bending a bit to their right. And again, they're going to be shortening and tightening up their own right paraspinal muscles. So, again, what's happening in the rider is oftentimes matched by what's going on in the horse. So, what I would say is, awareness is the biggest thing and that's probably the biggest thing that I advocate for. So as a rider, it is so important to be aware of how you do affect your horse and your horse's movements and do what you can to optimize your own strength and alignment, which will then in turn optimize your horse's performance. In general, I would say Athletes do better when they take care of their bodies by doing activities outside of their sport. So some form of cross training, right? It's common in sports conditioning to assume that the in-game range of motion is quite small compared to the range of motion needed in training to create you know, a healthy and balanced body. So when you think of riding especially, we kind of get into this nice, beautiful posture and ideally you don't move too much from that so we're using a very small range of motion so if you don't aren't doing anything to supplement your fitness out of the saddle then you may not be getting sufficient range of motion or joint health and suppleness to just feel good right So I would say sometimes the best thing for rider fitness is doing exercises that cannot be done in the saddle. And if we mimicked riding all the time, we would just reinforce the tightness patterns that um, we've already developed from riding. So what I'd say is like, honestly, probably every rider could benefit from these principles. Uh, But just to kind of circle back to your question here, while everyone could benefit the the people who should really be taking this uh, point home is those who are noticing reoccurring patterns happening either in themselves or their horse.
0: Interesting. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Taylor. I'm hmm. curious to hear your thoughts on this. So like, let's say you worked on a, a rider before they got in the saddle and then after they got in the saddle, I think in most sports, because like, as you just highlighted there, like most sports are a bit more fluid versus riding the range of motion is quite small and it's very precise. And we're always looking for that similar posture. Mm -hmm. So if you worked on a rider before and after getting in the saddle, would they be stiffer before or after uh, that?
2: Good question. It kind of depends what our treatment plan has been leading up to that. So I have the luxury, like when I am traveling with the team, I typically see the riders every single day, right? So if I'm seeing them before they ride, I probably saw them the night before and worked on them and they're feeling better, right? So in that case, oftentimes they do feel pretty good going into the ride. And then after the ride, yeah, we've developed some muscle tension or something afterwards. It would be different for people who aren't having a frequent treatment because then they've just had probably maybe a buildup of muscular tension that hasn't been addressed. So would there be a big change before and after the ride? I would say probably not.
1: That's really interesting. I'm trying to think about it and compare it to my own experiences. And it's, um, it's all, uh, sort of percolating in there. But um, (laughs) I, I know you also have a busy clinical practice outside of equestrian sports. Comparing riders to other athletes that you might work with, what are some of the issues that you typically see in equestrian athletes?
2: Yeah, uh, so I co own a clinic called Prospect Physiotherapy. It's in Newmarket, Ontario. Um, one of my business partners is also part of an integrated support team. He works with Hockey Canada, and the other was a national level rider. So between the three of us, we see a lot of high performance athletes. And I can say that there's a lot of differences in our sport. Um, I don't think people realize how tough the horse sport is for a variety of reasons that are more than just the physical demand. So first of all, like there's no arguing that as equestrians, we tend to put way more focus on our horse than we do ourselves. So even I had a client this morning and we went over this and it's like, our horse will have a Cairo appointment, massage or physio appointment way before we, we do, like they get the full works, right? <laughs> um, so that's the one thing is just like how we prioritize our partnership in the sport. The other thing like time and finances are other huge factors that often go hand in hand. We don't have the luxury of just showing up at the track or an arena for a couple hour practice and then being done for the day. Like we're involved in a sport where our piece of equipment is a living being that requires a lot of care and maintenance. And then on top of that, just kind of getting into the financial part of it, it's a really expensive sport. Um, So many riders also need to use the sport to make a living. Uh, So they may be training multiple horses in a day, coaching, et cetera, just to actually afford their top level mounts and competitions, right? So then after all of this, like how much time do they actually have to cross train, go to physio or do their exercises, pretty much everything that I'm preaching here. But I hear these complaints from like all of my clients who are taking care of their bodies now. So I totally get it. And I admit like it's really tough. It's a tough sport. In terms of the the physical differences, which maybe you were alluding to at first, but uh, many riders have weak glutes and hamstring muscles accompanied by tight and short um, hip flexors and adductor muscles. So this in combination uh, can create that kind of chair seat position that we often see in the saddle. What else do I say? It's often common to see weak core muscles in riders, which um, people are often surprised about because everyone knows you need good core strength to ride a horse. But when you actually go in and test um, the muscles, the recruitment pattern isn't always um, where it should be to be optimal. Obviously we know that core muscles are hugely important to help stabilize your upper body, but it's also important to help control your aids and really like have that finesse while you're riding. So With riding, your base of support is your seat. Your seat is in the saddle, right? So we need this stability around our pelvis to be present before we're able to move our limbs um, efficiently. And then I would say the combination of all of these things leads to the biggest issues, which I see in riders, um, which is a lot of tightness and stiffness through the back and the neck, because really riders end up kind of bracing through their spinal muscles to provide that stability um, if the core muscles aren't providing it.
0: Really, really interesting. And and I th- I think, yeah, like a lot of what you said in terms of the, the, the problem issues, I think a lot would resonate with people. The core would probably be the one that, as you said, say, stands out a little bit, right? Like I think with it being so important in the sport, no matter what discipline it is, is, you'd think that should really be a priority and the body should really be tuned in there. So that's really interesting in terms of those issues and how they develop. You alluded to that a lot of it is sort of being in that same posture over time. And over uh, at the one point, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on riders are notoriously durable and brave and uh, pretty tough individuals. And oftentimes like they're sustaining small injuries and not as you alluded to, um, it is a living for them they can't really take time off to properly rehabilitate uh the issues and to you know get, get everything sorted before they get back into the saddle so in terms of the riders that you're coming across like how much of these issues is more so because of the like, injuries they've had in the past that they just haven't been able to properly rehabilitate so it's just been an ongoing issue for years now
2: yeah so i would say it's a bit of both like we have a build-up of the a- small issues that are turning into chronic issues and compensatory patterns in the body and then we do have those old injuries that haven't really been addressed so yeah tim like i think you're right on the mark like if we go back to that topic of range of motion in the sport we know that we are using quite a small range of motion while in the saddle Uh, so as a result many riders do get muscle imbalances and repetitive strains from riding even more so if, like we say, they are training multiple horses throughout the day. And then, yeah, a lot of riders also have injuries from traumatic events or falls. So if those weren't rehabilitated properly, they are either more susceptible to re-injury or it's likely to contribute to some of their chronic pain and compensatory patterns. Like when I'm doing an assessment with a new equestrian, just asking for their past history on injuries, you know, that they've had throughout the lifetime, because again, they may be surprised with this kind of helps paint a picture of what they're dealing with when they come in to see me. They will list off some of the wildest injuries uh, and, that, and they're just like, oh no, I never did anything for it. It just feels on its own, which yeah, like they are just a tough crowd and it's so amazing. But as a physio, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, kind of, it is both. And I explain it um, to all of my clients like this. Like if you think of every. Tissue in the body, they all have a threshold, right? Um, So we are always applying stress stress onto a tissue if we are using it. Typically, once we rest or like are finished with that activity, uh, the tissue will come back down to baseline or close to it. If, however, we are doing a lot of repetitive activity, like riding multiple horses in a day, the stress on the tissue may not fully return to baseline. It just may not have enough time. So if you do the same cycle over and over, it just kind of builds up until you actually pass that threshold point. It isn't until you pass that threshold point that you feel pain. So like I often have not just riders, but a lot of clients are like, oh, I, I did the same thing that I did all the time. So why do I feel pain now? And it's just because something has been brewing uh, for a long time. It could be days, weeks, months, even years. Um, But yeah, it's not until it's past that threshold point that you actually feel something. And then kind of bringing it back to previous traumatic injuries that may not have been addressed. The baseline for that tissue that had been injured in the past is now higher. So it's closer to that threshold point. So now you're putting stress on a tissue that doesn't have that same amount of kind of that same baseline level. And now uh, it just won't take as long for that tissue to reach its threshold and to have more
1: issues. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's really good.
1: I'm curious to hear your perspective a little bit. I'm just thinking as, as you're, you're going through all of these really interesting points, you know the culture of the sport like you said we we take really good care of our horses we prioritize their health and well-being and we in general tend to spare <laughs> little to no expense uh when it comes to the horses and there's still a lot of room for improvement there and i mean that's part of the reason why we have this podcast but on the rider side you know culturally we we praise toughness and perseverance and persistence and that those are those are you know some of the qualities also that I think are why people like want their kids to get into the sport they want them to learn those things and and I personally like I I think that you know I learned a lot of those things by being dropped off at the barn and having to fend for myself so I'm I'm just curious if you you see I don't know, like a, a, a way that maybe we could be doing better by our up and coming athletes, by our, you know, younger people just getting into the sport in terms of, you know, still encouraging those really important, you know, personality traits and things that are being developed, but also teaching them the importance of taking care of their bodies as an athlete and encouraging rest when rest is needed and getting the right you know, rehabilitation when it's needed. So I'd love to hear if, if you have any thoughts on that or, or if you've seen it done well in other sports um, that maybe maybe you could share with us.
2: Yeah, great question. Um, I don't know if I'll have the answer to it all. But I think a lot of it comes down to education. And I think probably the easiest people to educate first to spread the word would be coaches or trainers, right? Like they are the ones spending a lot of time with their athletes starting young and building up. Um, So it's just a a matter of the that getting out there, I would say the equestrian sport is a bit behind compared to other sports uh, that I see or work with. But just from my own practice and seeing how many equestrians I'm working with now in the clinic as well, not just with the team, I can see that there's there's starting to be a bit of a shift. Also, I think what you two are doing is amazing, (laughs) like just helping to share knowledge and people listening, you know, like they're listening to each podcast and hopefully are learning something new and taking stuff with it. Uh, And then the other big, the biggest thing I think is really word of mouth. So I can just see the snowball effect in my own practice. Once one person sees success, they spread it to everyone else in their barn. And uh, it just kind of keeps growing from there. But again, it's just it's starting somewhere. So, you know, the first person needs to deal with it, have success with it uh, and then spread the word. But then also, I think there could be much better education um, kind of at the grassroots level and with all coaches, I would say.
1: That's really helpful. Thank you. You know, I think for trainers who are trying to do better. What do you think they should be looking for in their riders? Are there, you know, screens that they can do to flag issues? Um, Obviously, it's easier if, like, you know, a rider falls off and you you know (laughs) that they, like, you know, fractured something or sprained something. But I actually uh, a little anecdote. I I fell off a couple of weeks ago, like a, a little bit of a freak accident. And um I I got a, a nice little broken wrist here. Um oh no. but I also I also uh had my chest was hurting uh and I I didn't think it was broken, but I went, you know, to the urgent care they wanted to do it a chest x-ray just to check for any fractured ribs. And, um, I came out and they said, well, you don't have any new fractures, but we see a couple old ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I, I sort of laughed and shrugged it off and, and, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. Like if you've been riding for your whole life, you're going to have, um, some some battle wounds that stick with you for a long time. Oh, well, um, that's funny. It, it's so common, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so circling back, I, I, is there something that you know outside of acute situations that trainers could could be doing to look for um, issues in their riders, and then you know encouraging them to to take the next step and get them addressed by a qualified professional?
2: Yeah, and honestly, like. I say we could keep it pretty simple, right? Like if a trainer is noticing any sort of pattern with their rider or having to constantly give the same cues all the time, like... I always hear, you know, like, keep your shoulders back or drop one shoulder, you're always keeping it up towards your ear, then little things like that are a good indicator that the rider could probably be assessed and have some hands on treatment, because there's probably some myofascial issues that um, are going on there that can easily be addressed, right? Uh, And then the same goes if the trainer is noticing issues with the horse, like if they're having a hard time going into a frame or changing a lead or bending in one direction. Um, of course, have an equine practitioner out, but again, it's coming back to thinking, okay, like what other underlying issues could be causing this? And it's a really easy thing just to have the rider out and be assessed. Um, I say another like super easy thing to do that I do with all of um, my equestrian clients is uh, just have them take pictures of themselves in the saddle, even if it's a standstill, it still gives you a lot of information. So first picture is like directly head on. The second one would be from the side and the third one would be from the back of the horse, but always centered with the rider. And you can easily just do it on your phone, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever. You can just draw a line directly down the center of um, the horse. And then see where the rider is sitting in comparison to that. So it's something really fast and easy to do, but it gives you a lot of information. So, I mean, I do that. So if no one wants to do that, then yes, your practitioner will just do it for you. But, you know, if you're tight on time or money can't make it to a practitioner, it's just a cool idea that you can do on your own and see what's going
0: on. That's that's really helpful and and just really good advice, right? And it's interesting. I, I think sports sports incredibly complex, right? Like if you think about what we're trying to do with these horses, no matter what discipline, like you're trying to pair a a horse and rider and get the communication between two species that don't really have a direct line Mm -hmm. of communication and and all of this stuff you're trying to work within the constraints of whatever rules you're competing under, whether it's FEI or national, like it's incredibly complex. But then on the flip side, in a way, it's pretty simple, right? Like it's a lot of stuff where, you would kind of say like, you know, how do you create like a, an optimized system? Like mechanically, like how do you, if you were to, if someone gave you a Lego set and they're like, you know, build like a nice stable structure, you would build it by like making sure it's balanced on both sides and symmetrical and everything and working with kind of the basis support as, as you alluded to. Right. So it's, yeah. I think sometimes we get a little bit hung up caught catching or chasing uh, like you know, these, these little things, like the newest fad, when like it really does come back to the basics and the fundamentals of making sure that, you know, the body's in the right position at the right time to give those cues. And like Mm. sort of, once you have that in place, I think everything else kind of becomes easier as opposed to, as you, as you said, I think sometimes people are playing around with a lot of different bits for the horses and devices and all these different techniques, just to correct an issue that is being driven by a rider who's not you know, giving the correct cues at the correct time, just based on their posture. So uh, really, really interesting. Um, and then I, I know you did some videos for Question Canada, which I think are still on YouTube. So maybe we'll uh, post a link to that in uh, the show notes, Taylor. If you had to give maybe three exercises that you think every rider should be doing to help address some of these issues, maybe something that could be done uh, before people go to bed, or maybe when they wake up in the morning, like what would those exercises be?
2: And that's a loaded question
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's known for those i mean he threw in a little bit of a plug
2: for me but <laughs> but honestly so like just to give a little bit of background on those youtube videos like i did do a lot of research to put together this like 10 week exercise program designed for equestrians so a lot is covered in that so it's hard for me just to break it down think of three um, but it really does focus on uh everything that a rider needs right so there's body symmetry core strength and stability balance proprioceptin proprioception coordination like stamina um all of which you need for a rider and then on top of that there's also a full warm up and cool down protocol that riders could do um i mean ideally they should do before and after every ride uh, so i really did design that uh, uh, to address the most common issues that i see in riders which we've already talked about so like just kind of with that background you can see like how much there probably is that needs to be addressed so if i had to pick three um i don't even know tim i don't even know if i can pick three exercises but i say <laughs> if we had to prioritize three things <laughs> i would probably say stretching so hip mobility is huge a lot of my riders have um tight hips and uh back So I would really focus on sort of like your cat-cow type exercises. I do a lot of like 90-90 hip stretches, if anyone knows what that is, Um, but really just to open up the hips and back. So I'd say like kind of stretching would be one key area to focus on. Core strength, of course, would be the uh, next big one in terms of strengthening. This is where some people uh, have a hard time because – Core strength isn't just, you know, doing your crunches or sit-ups to help with your six-pack. We really do need to go back to the basics uh, and figure out how to properly activate our core, which the majority of people um, can't actually do because it's a foreign concept. It seems so weird when I actually teach people how to do it. So again, like this exercise program on YouTube, um, it really does go back to the basics. So I start super um, easy, fundamental, and then each week kind of builds up on top of that. So, yeah, I would say uh, the so stretching, core strength, and then I would probably prioritize um, proprioception. So the very first exercise I give all of my riders is um, literally just like, scooping your hand underneath your seatbone bone and pulling it back on both sides hopefully that kind of makes sense but it's just resetting your pelvic alignment and then feeling what that feels like because ideally you want to have 50 50 weight distribution between your left and your right seat bones and it's not until you fully reset your pelvic alignment um, that you feel that and are aware that you don't normally sit like that. So it's retraining that proprioception so that when they're in the saddle, they can prioritize that first.
1: I think the only thing, uh, I know the first, second, and third time that uh, Tim said proprioception to me, I Googled it. So would you mind giving just a quick uh, definition in case anyone else out there is is pulling up the Google on the phone? Oh, yeah. Right
2: so it's, to make it simple, it's really just being aware of your body is kind of in space, right? So... The again, like one of the first things I want my riders to do when I start seeing them is being aware of their seat bones. So it's amazing how many people aren't, you just kind of get used to being in a certain position and whether it's symmetrical or not, your brain processes that as probably being straight because um, it's used to it. Right. So there's a lot of retraining kind of rewiring the brain. So yeah, proprioception is just feeling where your body is. Um,
1: Awesome. Thank you for that. Of course. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I remember I actually had a a really Awesome opportunity a bunch of years ago to um, have some dressage lessons from a a dressage rider who has a degree in biomechanics and as a hunter jumper rider um, she was the first person that really talked to me about about my seat bones and the difference and 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 really proprioception with without me knowing that I was learning about proprioception so um, and it, it honestly changed the way I was able to work every horse that I sit on now and and. I think it's an invaluable lesson um, to learn if anyone has the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I know. And like, while it seems like I work probably a lot with um, dressage riders, I do see a ton of um, hunters and jumpers in my clinic as well. And uh, it's, Teaching them this, it does kind of come across as a foreign concept. A lot of them do kind of ride in that like half seat position, but it's, I mean, you would know as well, it's great to really work on your flat work because so much of your course is flat work. Um, So it's really beneficial for them to, to kind of go through these concepts.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think going back to understanding the way that our, our bodies and our, um, uh, alignments or, or lack thereof impact the horses that we're sitting on, I think realizing th- rather than muscling a horse into doing something, changing the weight of one part of your body or another in, in subtle ways, how big of an impact that has. Yeah. Um, and the first time you realize that, I think it really turns a light bulb on that every little subtle thing that you're doing, whether it be consciously or, or Subconsciously, unconsciously. <laughs> um, uh, it, it really does have a major impact. So, thank you for breaking that down. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're, we're running low on time and, and I know you're super busy. So, we have one last question that we like to ask all of our guests. And it's sort of a funny one just that if, if you could talk to a horse and they could really understand you, um, what's something that you would want them to know?
2: Now, this one is tough because
1: <laughs> I think when you develop a bond with a
2: horse, there really is a great like nonverbal communication that develops and it's as though you do understand one another um, but I think I would really, it's probably so basic and I don't know if your other guests have already been saying this, but it's just basic and saying thank you and have them know how appreciative we are as riders to just, you know, let, to have them let us do this sport. And I think in return, it's important is to let them know that we will do everything to keep them happy and healthy.
0: That's, uh, that's a really nice uh, sentiment uh, there, Taylor. And I think it's a perfect way to wrap this up. So again, thank you so much. It's been really interesting talking to you. Uh, as I'm sure you know, I, I'll i be bugging you in the future for more, uh, more speaking engagements and uh, just put your brain on stuff as well. So uh, we'll be in touch, but thank you so much.
2: Of course, yeah. well, had a great time. Thank you guys. Thank you and good luck at the world championships. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
0: I always really enjoy getting the chance to chat with Taylor, Uh, really enjoyed that discussion. What I kept thinking about during the talk was the importance of coming back to the basics. Uh, Riding 101 is a balanced seat, not placing unneeded pressures anywhere on the horse's body and so on. Over time, our bodies do tend to adapt to develop some postures and movement synergies that may feel natural and comfortable to us, but to a trained outside eye, it is clear that maybe the pelvis height more on one side versus the other, there could be pressures or locations that the heels are resting on the horse's side that may be slightly different. Uh, Maybe one arm is slightly stiffer and so on. Uh, It's a little bit like sitting in front of your computer at home. A lot of us tend to not sit with the best posture the longer we sit. So uh, I think it's similar to what we do in the saddle. And it's one of those things where these subtle little changes to our posture over time can add up and add up until it creates relatively large issues for the horse in terms of those outputs. And if, a horse can't move its body the way it should be moving it. So if it's not smooth and not efficient, then we're going to end up with chronic overuse injuries uh, that will become more likely. So it's, it's a really important point to consider in your own riding.
1: Especially if you ride for a long period of time, you're naturally going to develop asymmetries as a result to, you know, normal wear and tear and just, you know, the way that your body is built. And if you only, if, if you ride one horse, the same horse all the time, it can be really hard for you to actually identify those things. Like we all, we always like to think that we're really, you know, sort of aware of um, exactly where we are, but when it becomes a feeling of like the new normal, sometimes you do need to get that outside perspective of a physiotherapist or even just go to your trainer and say, like, Is there something that you notice that I do in the way that I, you know, sit or my balance? Do I always make my horse go to the right? You know, all those kinds of things that can be really good indicators. And like we said, when we were talking to Taylor, horses, even though they're much bigger than us, how we sit on their backs and how we use our weight and our pressure Has a really major impact on their own balance and symmetry. So, um, we definitely don't want to be causing unnecessary stress on our horses for things that we could be fixing just by, you know, exercising and and learning to use our bodies uh, more effectively. So, like you said, riding 101. (laughs) Simple. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Super easy to do, right?
1: So, totally. Well, That's it for today's episode. You can find links to today's guests in our show notes, which are available at our website, www.sporthorsepodcast.com. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Be sure to head to wherever you're listening to us right now and follow us and leave a review. Following us is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode and you know as soon as our new episodes are released. And if you know somebody who you think would enjoy today's episode, be sure to send it to them. You can have all 20-plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go by downloading our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the app store and search for horse radio network to find that app. And here is to keeping our horses happy and healthy.